Well done. That's awesome. How many of you remember that song? Yeah, some of you do. We're going way, way back with that, all the way to 1986. It was a number one song by a band called Mr. Mr. They had one other song. Anybody know what that is? Broken Wings. Who said that? Who's like the smart guy over here? You're awesome. That is cool. That's exactly right. We wrap up our series entitled The Chapel Roswell Mixtape this morning. We've over the last several weeks, used good tunes to lead us to good news. We've looked at a variety of, of genres of music from different eras, from different artists, uh, from different places and times. We, we've had Guns N' Roses. We've had U2. We started with Nirvana. Uh, we had The Greatest Showman. We've had all sorts of fun stuff. And like I said, this morning's song takes us back to 1986. Now, a lot of you guys have heard the song. Who knows what the name of the song is? Curie. Now, curie lays on, that's a Greek term, I'll, I'll share what that means in a second. Curie lays on down the road that I must travel. Now, I'll be honest with you, I was a young kid back when that song was popular, and when they would sing it and they'd hear it on the radio, I always thought it was saying, carry a laser down the road that I must travel. That, that's seriously what I thought it meant. Curie lays on, that's the name of the song. Curie lays on, okay, remember that phrase, down the road that I must travel. Curie eleison. Okay, remember that term. Say that again. Turn to your neighbor and say, Curie eleison. You guys are speaking Greek. That is so cool. So here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to read the lyrics to the chorus, okay? When I point to you, or not, not to you individually, but when I point out, you guys say, Curie eleison, okay? Curie eleison, down the road that I must travel, through the darkness of the night. Where I'm going, will you follow? And finally, on a highway in the light. That's what the song says. It's a Greek phrase that literally comes from Scripture. It means, Lord have mercy. It derives from a Greek translation of Scripture. Remember, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. And in the New Testament, we find three occasions where people cry out to Jesus, Lord have mercy. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. There are Bibles in each uh, pew, and, and as always, you're feel, feel free to take those. We invite you to, uh, to take those, and we'll go back and restock. We're going to go to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, let me set the stage before you get there. We're going to go to Matthew 20, okay? Jesus and his disciples, they, they, they left the city of Jericho. They were on their way to Jerusalem. They were going there for the big Passover meal. All of the Jewish males over a certain age were required to go to the city of Jerusalem for the annual Passover celebration. 
Okay, it was a big, big deal. And Jesus and his disciples, they left the city of Jericho. They're on their way to Jerusalem, going through the wilderness on the way to the big city, okay? Because Jewish people from all over the world were, were heading to, uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. There were large crowds of people on the road. Uh, the straight line distance between Jericho and Jerusalem is about 15 miles, but, but it was very treacherous terrain going over and through and around and between a lot of mountains. And the road was dangerous. There were a lot of bandits and highway robbers and things like that. In fact, it was Jesus, when he was talking about that road from Jericho to Jerusalem, when he used the analogy or the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember, he was walking along this dangerous road, and, and he was beaten and left for dead. Okay, the road was dangerous. It was treacherous. And Jesus and his disciples were headed to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus knew the fate that would await him in Jerusalem. He knew that he was going to be arrested. He knew that he was going to be killed. His disciples didn't quite fully grasp yet that concept. But Jesus had, had performed miracles, and people were amazed by his teaching. And so you had a lot of crowds that would join Jesus and his disciples as they were walking on towards Jerusalem. So it was a big deal. It was a special occasion because they got to not only go to Jerusalem for the Passover meal and the Passover celebration and the festivities, but they were also going with Jesus. Okay, this would be the last of the healing miracles that Jesus would perform before his crucifixion. Okay, they were, they were going down the road and they came across two blind men. As crowds of Jewish people headed toward Jerusalem, a, a lot of street beggars would go out and, and they would cry out or, or they would beg or, or they would panhandle or whatever you want to call it, trying to get money. But, but these two shouted out to Jesus. Here's what they said. We're going to pick it up at verse 29 and we're going to go to verse 34. So Matthew 20, 29 through 34. As Jesus, okay, he, he was on his disciples, they were headed towards Jericho. There was a large crowd that followed him. And two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked these two guys. They, they, they told them to be quiet, but they shouted even louder, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on us. In Greek, Kyrie eleison. Jesus stopped and he called to them, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. The scripture then goes on to say that Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight, and they followed him. The blind men, they were confined to a life of darkness and disability and ostracism in that culture. They were desperate for something else. They were desperately crying out, for healing, And they shouted towards Jesus, and it tells us that the crowds told them to be quiet. Don't interrupt what we're doing. We've got official business. We're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover meal. They cried out, Son of David. And this would have gotten people's attention. This refers to a prophecy that we read about several hundred years before Jesus was born. It's the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, when the Lord is telling King David that from your lineage one day will come a Messiah who would save the people. So while the Jewish religious leaders, they failed to recognize Jesus as the Messiah, these two blind beggars did. They called out for him. And Jesus again shows us that not only is he a mighty savior, but he's filled with mercy and he's filled with compassion and with a touch of his hand he healed them. 
Their faith led to a change that would change their futures. They're showing us that faith is not merely believing in God. It's about responding to that faith. And whatever happened to these two blind men? We're going to check that out in a second. We have an 11-year-old son, David, and, and I remember when he was about five years old, we were living just outside of Athens at that time, and my wife and my wife Catherine and I, we were doing some, some renovations to the house, just trying to get it to look a little nicer, and, and we did, or really technically she did, some painting, and, and we had carpet that was put in, and we were cleaning like crazy, you know, that spring cleaning thing that you get where you want to clean really, really well, and we bought new carpet for our bedrooms. And I remember one day the workmen were laying down this carpet. And they had just finished, and it looked awesome. And you know that new carpet smell? It just smelled good when you walked into this empty room with the fresh new carpet on the floor. No furniture had yet to be moved in. And our four-year-old then, our five-year-old son, David, he was kind of mimicking what we're doing. You know how they kind of copy what mom and dad are doing. And we were going around cleaning all the windows and, and cleaning all the floorboards and the baseboards and all that kind of stuff. And, and he went to the kitchen, and underneath the sink, he, he got the, a spray bottle of some stuff so, so he could kind of go along with us. And he was helping out, spraying down the kitchen chairs, and, and he was wiping it with a, a little rag. And he disappeared out of sight for a second. I didn't think much of it. And then finally, we were like, David, you know, where are you? And so I went to the back of the house, and, and I found him. He, he was in his bedroom, and he was spraying stuff on the carpet, just trying to, to make it clean. But, but, you know, the carpet didn't need to be clean. It, it was brand-new carpet. And not only that, but, but the spray bottle had bleach in it. <laughs> he was spraying this solution with, with bleach onto the brand-new carpet that had been installed literally hours earlier. The spots where he sprayed, they, they started to turn white, and I panicked. I mean, the, the brand-new carpet, and I ran towards him, and I grabbed the spray bottle and the rag from him, and he started bawling. He started crying. He didn't know what the fuss was about. He thought he was helping. He, he thought that he was cleaning. After a few minutes, I, I, I knelt down, and, and I picked him up, and I just kind of held him for a while. And my anger slowly dissipated into disappointment, and then that disappointment slowly transitioned into compassion. My heart was breaking because his little heart was breaking. In our scripture this morning, we're talking about that compassion that Jesus has. What happened to those two blind beggars after Jesus healed them, after Jesus restored their sight? Well, it says in verse 34 that Jesus had compassion on them. He touched their eyes. Immediately they were healed. They got their sight. And then this little clause at the end, three words, but it says something amazing about what happened. They had compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. They were healed. They received their sight and followed him. They followed him. What a great response for two people who saw Jesus for, for, for whom he really is, the Messiah. They saw who Jesus was, and they wanted to be a part of what was going on. They wanted to be a part of his world. They wanted to be a part of where he was going and what he was doing because they were touched and transformed by his compassion towards them, by the mercy that the Lord poured out upon them. You, how have you experienced God's mercy in your life? How have you seen God's merciful hand touch upon where you are or where you've been or where you're going? How has Jesus opened your eyes? 
you and I, we're, we're not blind physically. I'm blessed with not great eyesight, but I can see. But there have been a lot of times, to be honest with you, when I have been blind spiritually. There are times when I fail to, to love my neighbor as myself. There are times when I'm not the, the most compassionate guy in the world. I need God's supernatural strength in order to do that. There, there are times when I selfishly fail to pursue following Christ. There, there are times when I focus on my own personal agenda instead of the divine will of God. But this passage reminds us of the mercy of God. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. We live in a broken world where there's a lot of tragedy, there's a lot of despair at times. It seems like there's a lack of hope. We see violence and we see hatred. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. We see divisiveness instead of unity. Lord have mercy. We see bigotry or we see intolerance. Lord have mercy. We see moral and social and spiritual decay. Lord, have mercy. We see bat people battling with depression or, or, or fear. Lord, have mercy. We, we see families that might be coming apart at the seams. Lord, have mercy. And many Christian churches around the world, especially over in Eastern Europe, they use an ancient song and an ancient prayer that they call Kyrie eleison, they still today use it during Holy Communion, and I think that's very appropriate because during communion, we're focusing on the mercy of God. And while God pours out his mercy upon you and upon me, upon us, he calls us to show mercy to those whom we encounter. In John 13, 34 and 35, here the words of Jesus. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. These are instructions that Jesus is giving to his disciples. A command, how are they called to, to live out their faith? And it's a command that's still given to you and me today. Now, this is really some good news for, for a couple of different audiences, okay? For a couple of different people. If you are a follower of Jesus... Okay, he's giving you instructions on what to do and how to live. And we need those guidelines. We, we need that structure at times. And so he's telling us what we're called to do. There's a lot of God's grace in those instructions. We're not just thrown out there not knowing what to do. I, I think when our kids started playing sports for the first time, they were little kids just running around, whether it was soccer or softball or baseball or football. They, they didn't know what was going on. They were just kind of running around aimlessly. But finally, the coach would step in, and he would give them the rules of the game. And those were a good thing. It was instruction by which they, they, they could live. It showed them the way to do things. And so through Scripture, God is telling us how we're called to live. So, so that's good news to, to us followers of Jesus, that God shows us the way. But secondly, another audience, if you don't believe in Jesus, or you don't know the Lord as your Savior, the scripture still tells us that God loves you so much, so much, that he's telling his followers how they're called to treat you. How powerful is that? A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Note, note that he says this is a new command. Uh, you want to go back to Greek. It's a word called Canaan or pronounced Canaan. 
in Greek, it literally means fresh. This is a fresh command I give you. More specifically in Greek, it's the complete opposite of the word uh, outworn or worn out. Okay, the fresh message of Jesus Christ. That would be revolutionary to so many of his early followers. Even at times, you see, amongst his disciples, there was a little bit of rivalry. There was a lot of tension, even between Jesus and his own family at times. His mother, for example, when he started to preach, she, she said, I think he's out of his mind. We're not sure what he's doing or who he is anymore. Jesus is telling us that this attitude of love would be the bond that holds us in unity together. This convincing demonstration that we are living under the guidance and the lead of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus brings about a sense of unity that despite our differences is so much pale in comparison to what we have in common. And that is the fact that God loves us. Maximilian Kolb, Maximilian Kolb, he was a Catholic priest when World War II broke out. He was a priest in Poland, and he would use his church as a place of refuge for Jewish families who were seeking hiding from the Nazis. And the Nazis found out what he was doing, and they arrested Maximilian Kolb. He was sent to the Auschwitz concentration camp where he was simply known as a number, prisoner 16670. If a prisoner ever escaped the concentration camp, the Nazis would randomly tick, pick 10 men at random, and they would kill them. It was their way of trying to prevent anyone else from trying to escape. And, and one day, three Jewish captives managed to escape, and so the Nazis, they picked 10 people to be starved to death in an underground bunker. And one of the men, as he was picked by the guards to step forward, he cried out in agony, my wife and my children. Father Maximilian Kolb stepped forward and he said, let me take his place. The guards didn't know what to think, but, but they allowed him to do that, so they sent this other man with his wife and his children. They, they sent him back, and they pulled out Father Maximilian Kolb, where he was thrown in a cell underground, and he was left to starve to death. He spent his time praying and singing and trying to, to encourage the other prisoners who were there, and after two weeks of dehydration and starvation, Maximilian Kolb was still barely alive, the last one alive from those ten men. The guards wanted the bunker emptied, so they gave him a lethal injection of carbolic acid, and he died. But he was willing to trade his life for someone else. Friends, Jesus has traded his life for you and for me. God loves us so much right where we are that he accepts us. But then the scripture says he doesn't want to leave us there, that he transforms us that were changed from the inside out. We see pain and hurt in our world. We go through pain and we go through hurt in our lives. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. And he does. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you for the mercy that you pour down upon each of us and the ways in which we are seeing you work.
through our families, through our congregation, through our community. Lord God, we ask that your Holy Spirit penetrate every aspect of our lives, every corner of our hearts to to maybe show us or convict us of the ways in which you want to bring about change to our lives. And as we prepare our hearts and minds for Holy Communion this morning, may we do this in remembrance of you, calling to mind the sacrifice that you made for us because you love us, because you are for us and not against us. And may we take what we do in here and fill the streets out there showing others the amazing grace and the love that you have for them. We pray all of these things in the name of the one who has showed us tremendous mercy, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray this morning. Amen.